0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Monday edition, we're broadcasting today and tomorrow from the campus of Truett McConnell University in uh, North Georgia. They're committed to equipping leaders through a biblical-centered education, no matter their calling. I'll be joined later in the program with TMU's president, Dr. Amir Kaner. And we'll talk about the state of higher education in America.
1: But first, there is an incredible bipartisan resolve uh, for support of Ukraine and an incredibly strong bipartisan resolve to have severe consequences for Russia uh, if it invades Ukraine, and in some cases for what it has already done.
0: That was New Jersey Senator Robert Menendez on CNN's State of the Union yesterday. The U.N. Security Council met earlier today, but to no one's surprise, nothing came from that meeting. Will economic sanctions work against Russia or will China undercut their effectiveness? We'll talk with former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. In just a moment. Also, despite all of the mandates and the promises of returning to normal, some government leaders appear to be reluctant to release the control and power that covid has provided them. House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy joins me to explain his efforts to rein in House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and how Republicans plan to provide the American people a choice this fall. And here in Georgia, the effort to stop the indoctrination in the public school classroom is ramping up as the legislature is now in session. Governor Brian Kemp kicked off the legislative season earlier this month with a pledge to address the divisive ideology making its way into the classroom. We'll talk with one of the authors of the measures designed to clean up the classroom, Georgia State Representative Will Wade joins us later here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you miss anything, you can find it all later, archived at TonyPerkins.com. Also, there are contacts for our guests and the information we make reference to during the program. So make use of the website, TonyPerkins.com. The verse for today from our two-year journey through the Bible, Stand on the Word, comes from Job chapter 31, verse 15. Did not he who made me in the womb make them... Did not the same one who fashioned us in the womb? That's Job speaking of how he's treated everyone fairly. See, true equality begins in the womb with the beginning of the acknowledgement that we're all created by God. If you'd like to be a part of our Bible reading plan, you can go to frc.org slash Bible. Earlier today at the United Security Council meeting, the ambassadors of Russia and the United States clashed over the increasingly tense situation along Ukraine's border, with both portraying the other as the provocateur. Meanwhile, U.S. senators are reportedly very close to reaching a deal on legislation to sanction Russia over its actions on Ukraine. A vote is predicted as soon as this week on the mother of all sanctions, as Senate Foreign Relations Committee Chairman Bob Menendez of New Jersey
1: put it. These are sanctions beyond any that we have ever levied before. Right. And I think that uh, that sends a very clear message.
0: In just a moment, we're going to be joined by former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo to discuss uh, these sanctions. Report- reportedly today, the U.N. Security Council met. The problem with the U.N. Security Council is Russia is one of the five members that can veto anything that the Security Council does. So it was really more of a public show to build possibly international support. However, uh, you have both Russia and China voting no in a measure to advance this to the full uh, United Nations body. Uh, The The tension between Russia and Ukraine spilled over into the Sunday shows. I'm going to go back and play the earlier clip that we played of Senator Menendez talking about the bipartisanship that has come together over this issue, both Republicans and Democrats working together to find a diplomatic solution. The issue at present is when to use the trigger of sanctions. The Democrats want to wait until an invasion actually takes place where Republicans feel like we have to act now to prevent the incursion, further incursion of Russia into Ukraine. Uh, play clip number one, please.
1: There is an incredible bipartisan resolve uh, for support of Ukraine and an incredibly strong bipartisan resolve to have severe consequences for Russia uh, if it invades Ukraine, and in some cases for what it has already done.
0: I just got word uh, Secretary of State uh, pompeo is uh, is delayed we 're going to come back to that uh, topic i I want to move on to another issue that uh, that we are tracking here at the Family Research Council, and it has to do with what 's uh, coming out of the University of pittsburgh and this is something that we tracked a few years ago, but now evidence making very clear that fetal organ harvesting. And uh, Planned Parenthood working together at the University of Pittsburgh. Joining me now to talk about this is uh, Mary Sock. She's the director of the Center for Human Dignity here at the Family Research Council. Mary, welcome back to the program.
2: Thanks so much for having me, Tony. All
0: right. uh, Tell us what has just come to light.
2: Well, several months ago, 93 members of Congress demanded answers uh, the Center for Medical Progress and, and David Daleiden pointed out that there seemed to be some sort of a quid pro quo between NIH, Planned Parenthood, and the University of Pittsburgh. The University of Pittsburgh is receiving over $3 million in, of taxpayer money to fund a fetal tissue research hub. Now, it should be noted that, that there have been no no. Helpful discoveries as the result of using fetal tissue, um, so there's there's no need for this quote unquote research hub. Um, but what's going on here is that the University of Pittsburgh may be engaging in in partial birth abortion in order to harvest organs from babies who are who are born alive um, and. And, and that they're they're practicing very unethical tactics in order to harvest these organs and then experiment on them. The the real question is, is the University of Pittsburgh that's using taxpayer dollars, using that and practicing infanticide?
0: I mean, Would this not uh, run afoul of the law?
2: It absolutely would, especially in Pennsylvania, where, you know, those I, I'm personally from Pennsylvania. And one of the things that that. Um, has brought shame to many Pennsylvanians is, is the knowledge that Kermit Gosnell, who ran his House of wars, um where where you know we saw unborn babies who were aborted um, or unborn babies who were who were born alive and then and then brutally killed um, as they exited as they exited their mother's womb. Um, those babies were kept in in his facility and, and so Pennsylvania is no stranger. To to the the gruesomeness of abortion, and so oh. in Pennsylvania specifically, it is illegal to treat um, an unborn children an unborn child with such disrespect. Partial birth abortion, obviously, there is a a national ban on that, and infanticide, of course, um, is illegal. Right.
0: Well, we want to keep a very close eye on this. Grateful for those uh, elected officials who are delving into this to find out the truth. Uh, Mary Sock, thanks so much for uh, for joining us today on this.
2: Thanks so much for having me, Tony.
0: And folks, as more information becomes available on this story out of uh, Pennsylvania, we will uh, we'll continue to, uh, to delve into it as well. I want to return now to the issue of uh, foreign policy issue of what's happening between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, joining me now to, uh, to talk about this former Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. Uh, Mr. Secretary, welcome back to Washington Watch.
1: Great
3: to be with you, Tony. How are you today?
0: I'm doing quite well. Uh, I want to get your take on this ongoing crisis with Russia, this pledge now for these mother-of-all sanctions. You know, given that relationship with China, and you know both these countries very well, are sanctions going to be enough to stop Russia at this point?
3: Well, it's almost certainly not enough in that sense, Tony. It is necessary. It's something that ought to be done, should be done, I hope will be done, probably should have been done. But it's not sufficient. That is, it's not going to deter Vladimir Putin that alone. They need to know that the West is united, that everybody's willing to work on this together. I see our German friends don't seem too inclined. We know what happened with Nord Stream 2 when the Biden administration let uh, them off the hook and when we stopped fracking here in America. And now, you know, I'm worried about wheat prices. Uh, 25, 30 percent of all the wheat in the world comes out of these two countries, goes through the Black Sea. But we need to make clear that these shipping lanes will remain open and we'll take care of the things that matter to every American.
0: How does that relationship with China, historically enemies with Russia, but now kind of cozying up in the last 50 years, how does that complicate our foreign policy right now?
3: Yeah, it was something we were always deeply aware of, this uh, at least feigned connectivity between Russia and China. Perhaps it's more than that. Perhaps it'll grow into more than that if we don't do things right. These are not only two deep military powers, but they're two deep nuclear powers as well, both with capable cyber forces, capable space forces, a, a powerful tandem. Look, neither of these either countries has too many friends. The United States has all the friends. Uh, we need to make sure that we balance this correctly. There's places where we can figure out how to work with Vladimir Putin. We we ought to do that. I was reminded the other day about the work we did on counterterrorism alongside them. But there's also a natural tension, Tony. Don't ever forget the Chinese and Russians have deeply different interests. They share a long border. There's been a lot of conflict on that border it's not a natural alliance either, but if America misplays its hand and Europe misplays its hand, we could drive them closer together. and That, w- that wouldn't be good for any of us.
0: No, it would not. And, you know, I, I know this, the immediate crisis is with Russia and Ukraine, but I think long term, the greater threat to the United States has proven to be, I think, China.
3: Tony, there, there's no doubt. The uh, the challenge of the next 25 or 50 years isn't going to come from Vladimir Putin. It's going to come from Xi Jinping. It's going to come from the Chinese Communist Party. they have both the capability and the intent right 1.4 billion people, the first or second largest economy in the world depending on how you count it uh, this and and by, and by the way, that's the capability the intention to be the Middle Kingdom to fulfill the China dream and we see that Tony every day. We see it here not in Beijing but in LA in New York and in Wichita, Kansas where the Chinese Communist Party is working hard to conduct a United Front. Uh, influence campaigns inside of our country, and pure espionage, stealing our stuff, destroying millions of American jobs.
0: Yeah, I think the, the intent clearly is there with Russia, but the capability is not there. And they certainly do not have the tentacles that China has into the United States. at present as you talked about, It's almost as if the you know, big tech, um, you know, Wall Street has opened the door to China to infiltrate almost every aspect of America.
3: Uh, Tony, they certainly have. America's biggest businesses are deeply connected. Indeed, many of our small, medium-sized businesses are connected. I always told uh, business people, fair enough, you know, for for 40 years, 50 years, Tony, American foreign policy asked them to do that. We wanted them to engage. We asked American companies to go to China and help us develop relationships. Engagement would be the solution. We, of course, know that didn't work. If it was a good idea then, maybe, Uh, but it doesn't work today. And now we have to reverse course in American businesses at the very least, must stop growing their assets inside of China and stop bending in need of them. You know, they, uh, they claim that they care deeply about human rights here at home. If somebody so much as, uh, you know, says a, a, a bad word here in the United States, they'll come after them and boycott them. The Chinese Communist Party is holding a million people in internment camps, conducting forced sterilizations, uh, denying women the fundamental right to choose whether they uh, want to have two children, or three children, or four children. And yet American corporations look the other way because they're making an awful lot of money. That is deeply immoral, and it's not good for American national security either.
0: No, and it's un-American by all standards. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us today. Yes, sir. Thanks for having
3: me on the show. So long.
0: All right. Mike Pompeo, great American. All right. Coming up, we'll be joined by the House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy to talk about Nancy Pelosi proxy voting. What is it? Why is she still doing it? Kevin McCarthy took her all the way to the Supreme Court. We'll talk about that and the Republicans are going to provide a choice for voters this fall. We're going to talk about that as well. Coming up next, number 1.
4: Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and he has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's word, so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools,
5: to six seven seven four two.
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. As I mentioned, we are in Cleveland, Georgia, at the uh, campus of Truett McConnell University, broadcasting today and tomorrow. I'll we'll be speaking at the chapel service in the morning. Later, we'll be t- joined by the president of TMU, Dr. Amir Keener. So stick around for that. Last week, the U.S. Supreme Court declined to take up a challenge to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's proxy voting rules that were put in place early on during the pandemic. The uh, remote voting protocol was initially set to expire January the 4th, but Speaker Pelosi announced that, well, late last month that she would just continue it until February the 13th.
5: She has run this institution like an authoritarian leader. Um, When it comes to proxies, the Republican majority, and I don't want to speak for the leader here, but we believe in in in-person voting. When when Republicans win back the House, that's what we are committed to.
0: That was uh, Elise Stefanik. She is the chair of the House Republican Conference. Here now to talk more about this and other items is the minority leader in the House of Representatives, Kevin McCarthy. Mr. McCarthy, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank
6: you, Tony. And I, I, before we begin, I just want to thank you for all the work you do and to all your listeners and for their prayers. Um, really, we, we need them more now than ever. And uh, when you talked about this, you know, here's the Supreme Court. Um, they didn't say they didn't rule whether it's constitutional or not. They just didn't take it up. And so we shouldn't rely on a separate branch of government to make Congress do their jobs. This is the intention of the Constitution, and when we take the majority, members will have to show up to get a paycheck. You know, even during the Civil War, they still met. Even after the building was burnt by the British, they met.
0: uh, You know. I talked at the top of the show about how we've got all these mandates. We've got mask mandates. We've got distancing mandates. We have vaccine mandates in the District of Columbia. All the members, you've had to go through all this. You've got to have your temperature. You've got to be tested. All these different things. I thought we had, I thought the vaccine was going to fix this. Why is it that Congress can't meet and do the business of the people as they were elected to do?
6: They can. And, you know, they're elected leaders they should meet. We expected grocery clerks, those in the fire department, police department, and the medical community. We expected them all go, but somehow Congress thought they should stay home. I mean, we should show the leadership, and we can do that, and we can do it in a, in a healthy manner. We're all pretty much all vaccinated. We did keep the distance, but we need to be able to sure, make sure government can run efficiently. But this idea, and this is how far they've gone with Nancy Pelosi, in the Capitol – They believe COVID only really happens on the House side. You have to wear a mask. But then you get right past the rotunda to the Senate. You don't have to wear a mask. And this is all coming from the doctor. Can you believe that?
0: Well, I I know this won't come as a a shock to you, Congressman McCarthy, but I don't think it has anything to do with the the virus. I think it has to do with power and control because she succeeded – That's right. She succeeded in passing some measures that probably would not have passed had the members had to have been present in voting.
6: That's 100 percent. Am I correct? You're 100 percent correct, but even goes further. When they first took over this year, they passed a rule that bills don't have to go through committee. So now the committees aren't even seeing them. So she would craft the bill. You're talking trillions of dollars. It's the start of inflation when they made that $1.9 trillion bill. They said it was for COVID, but only 9% went for COVID. And then she says, okay, we're going to vote on it. You members don't have to come back because I've got all the votes in my pocket. I'll just vote them all. I mean, it's all about power. Then she changed the rules on the minority where, The whole time in the history of Congress, the minority was always given an opportunity to at least have one amendment. She took that away.
0: And so you, as the leader of the Republicans, are pledging that if the American people put the Republicans in control of the people's house, you're going to change those rules to make it a fair body in which elected representatives have to be there to vote and they have a voice in the process. Is that correct?
6: On the very first day, bills are going to have to go through committee. People are going to have to show up to vote. Um, The public will get invited back in to see how their government works to be able to hold us accountable. You'll be able to debate the bill. We'll give the minority, if they want to have an amendment, they can have an amendment in the process. We believe the power of the idea should win in the public. This is the people's house. They should be able to participate.
0: Now, you also, uh, Leader McCarthy, have laid out a a broad agenda. You haven't provided the details yet. You're still working on that. But you, you plan, you've said your plan is to provide the American people a choice come this fall. Tell us about it.
6: I think this election should be a large contrast election. I think people should tell the American public what they would do if they were trusted with the majority. We're going to roll out what is called the commitment to America. There's a few things that we've already rolled out that will be a part of it. All of our members are in different task forces working from the freedom of the Internet to healthcare to economics. Um, We're all working towards different elements. The Parents' Bill of Rights, the idea that the Democrats believe parents should not have a say in their kids' education, that if somebody is – sexually harassed on the campus, you don't know, they won't notify the other parents and they just ship that person to another school to have it happen again. Um, So what we're going to do is, and we just came back last week having a big meeting and we're continuing every single week, we're going to roll out our entire agenda to the American public. We're going to tell them, if, if you trust us with the majority, these are the bills that we are passed. We'll also put in there, we believe this administration needs to be held accountable, We need to know why was the attorney general going after parents like they're terrorists. We want to look at the border. We want to secure the border. We've rolled that out. We want to look at what happened in Afghanistan. We want to look why the IRS is releasing people's tax returns. There is a lot of accountability that needs to take place in this administration. We're going to pass legislation and hold them accountable at the same time.
0: And a final comment, uh, Leader McCarthy, is that you and I have talked about this. One of the things that made Donald Trump successful is that he kept his promises. And you've told me that that is going to be your pledge, that whatever the Republicans pledge to do, the voters are going to be holding them accountable as well.
6: Yep. Promises made, promises kept. I'll promise you what we promise to do will pass the House. We've got to make sure it gets through the Senate as
0: well. All right. uh, Kevin McCarthy, thanks so much for joining us today. Always great to talk with you. Thank you, Tony. All right. The Republican leader, Kevin McCarthy, we're going to be talking more about that uh, agenda as it's laid out to the American people, because there will be a clear, clear choice coming this fall. All right. Coming up next, critical race theory continues to make headlines right here in Georgia. There are at least four bills that have been uh, filed to address the divisive teachings in the classroom. We're going to talk with one of the authors of one of the bills, next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. More Washington Watch to come right after this.
7: What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs.
0: This is Washington Watch, and I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website TonyPerkins.com. As I mentioned earlier, we're broadcasting today and tomorrow from the campus of Truett McConnell University in Cleveland, Georgia. We'll talk more about that in the next segment when I'm joined by the president of TMU, Dr. Amir Kaner. But here in the state of Georgia, the issue of uh, the uh, the issue of the controversial curriculum in classroom is really heating up. Uh, Earlier this month, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp kicked off the legislative season with a pledge to improve public education in part by ending the divisive ideologies like CRT that are making its way into the classroom. One of the Georgia legislators that shares the governor's concerns is Georgia Representative Will Wade. Will, welcome to the uh, program.
9: Hey, how are you, Tony? Great to be with you, and I appreciate you bring in a, a great message today.
0: Well, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. Now, what does the Protect Students First Act do? This is uh, your bill that you've put forward. Explain to our, uh, our viewers and listeners what it does.
9: Certainly. So, you know, we've watched what's going on right now, especially in D.C. and other parts of the country, where there's some folks that want to push divisive concepts and radical political ideologies, um, you know, things that are just theories. And K-12 education especially is no place to create division or to pit children against other children based on any unchangeable fact about them, such as race. And I feel confident that we're going to be able to have fair and open discussions, but ultimately we're going to ensure that no child in the Georgia school, and my hope is in this nation, would ever be looked down upon or lifted up merely based on the color of their skin. So that's what the bill uh, overwhelmingly does, and then it also puts in place an opportunity for parents, grandparents, and other concerned citizens to approach and to have those kind of issues addressed locally first, and if ignored, potentially uh, go all the way to the state school board and to have a review. And potentially, if that school system is found to have uh, not removed such divisive concepts, then they would potentially lose uh, some of their flexibility statuses that we have within our uh, governance structure within the state of Georgia. So there so, will be a penalty if they ignore it.
0: Representative Wade, the, the governor kicked off the legislative uh, season, uh, this, the State of the Union Address, and he brought this issue in of these uh, controversial ideologies uh, in the classroom. Are you surprised that uh, the governor has made this actually a priority uh, for this year's legislative session?
9: I'm not surprised. Uh, Governor Kemp, uh, like myself and many other uh, Georgians, believe that children should not be pitted against each other. And what we've seen is, um, I believe, a small, loud group of folks that are trying to push specific ideologies um, and K-12 education has to be protected. And ultimately, our children need to make sure that they have folks to support them through and through And, and, and won't allow that to ingrain our curriculum or you know, put kids against each other in the classroom. I've got two children myself. I've got a second grader and a kindergartner, and my children are no more, they're not They're not greater than any children um, based on the color of their skin, and they're also not less than any other children uh, based on the color of their skin. So we, you know, Martin Luther King, you know, went through an entire uh, cycle in our history with the civil rights movement to push back against violence and to assume that somehow we would measure Our opportunity in this country, other than the content of our character and the merit of our actions. And I hope that I can be a voice to all folks. You know, this is bigger than what the media wants to only label with CRT. This is about ensuring that we don't allow any radical political ideologies to end, you know, to be ingrained in our public schools.
0: You know, this has become a big issue across the country. You know, in large part, it kind of started with the COVID, uh, the lockdowns, you know, kids not being able to go to school, parents for the first time actually seeing what their children are being taught, and and many of them were horrified, and rightfully so. What are you hearing from uh, parents in Georgia?
9: So I've had lots of folks reach out, especially about uh, concerns related to, you know, saying that the United States is somehow an inherently racist country, and that our genesis was founded on such principles that would prohibit you know, certain classes or certain individuals to be able to rise up and, and, and to thrive in our country. And I believe America is exactly the opposite. Every single person in this country has an opportunity. I mean, I mean we have an opportunity to pursue happiness. However, we see fit? And I don't believe that children uh, and their parents should be ignored when they have legitimate concerns. I I don't believe that it is um, all across every single classroom, and I don't believe that very many teachers subscribe to that thinking. But it's like anything else. If we don't get more proactive to prevent these types of things becoming ingrained in our curriculum and instruction across our state and obviously across our country, We would, uh, I think we would be derelict in our duties as good Americans to make sure that we protect all children of all races against that type of thinking.
0: Uh, Representative Wade, one final question for you. We're just, we're up against a break. Um, What are the prospects of your bill and the others making their way through this year?
9: You know, I I have taken an approach to make sure that I meet with all concerned citizens about this. And I feel like I've done a, a decent job of listening to folks. That listing is going to continue through the committee process, but my hope is that we can get this through the Georgia House in just a couple of weeks, get it over to our state Senate, and um, get it to the governor for his signature, and so that we can go ahead and be proactive and, and make sure that we do protect students first in Georgia.
0: All right, we'll, we'll be watching it uh, very closely. Thanks so much, Representative Wade, for joining us today.
9: Thanks for having me so much. Appreciate it, Tony.
0: All right. On the other side of the break, we'll be joined by the president of Truett McConnell University, Dr. Amir Kaner. And he'll be here to, uh, to discuss with us the status of Christian higher education in America and maybe a few other things. So don't go away. We're coming back with more Washington Watch after this.
8: Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? then download Family Research Council Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications.
10: Visit frc.org slash internships to apply.
0: You are listening to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you on the website. As I mentioned at the top of the program, we're broadcasting from the campus of Truett McConnell University, which is in Cleveland, Georgia. That's in uh, the northern part of the state beautiful part of the state. And uh, we're, we're uh, in fact, here today, tomorrow, as I mentioned, I'll be speaking at the chapel service on campus. And here to talk more about the state of higher education as Christian higher education is the president of TMU, Dr. Amir Kaner. He is the, uh, the president, a true Bible scholar, and one who wants to help young people Learn to operate, no matter what their calling is, from a biblical perspective. Dr. Kainer, welcome to Washington Watch once again. It's good to be back. Well, let's uh, let's talk about it. you. Just uh, you, you heard the conversation I had mm-hmm. with uh, uh, Will Wade, state representative here in Georgia, about Georgia's efforts to try to get CRT out of the classroom. Other radical ideologies that are anti-American, anti-really human dignity, quite frankly, uh, clearly running afoul of America's idea of all men being created equal. Um, Let's talk about Christian higher education, because some would say, well, we just got to get our kids away from CRT to get them into Christian education, and they'll They'll be safe. And you have to realize that in Christian education, I think there are really three types of
11: Christian universities. One's what I call Chinos. They're only Christian in name only. They have a heritage in the past, but they don't have any significant value in terms of a biblical worldview. Uh, You then have those who are mixed uh, they may have a great Bible department or maybe business department, but the rest of it's up in the air. It's not guarded. There is no confession of faith. There is no regulation of worldview uh, given for the rest of the faculty uh, beyond perhaps Bible. And then you have Christian universities, which are, of course, out of all Christian universities, a minority of us. And we take our Christian worldview in such a way where the Bible is not merely paramount but is sufficient. It is the primary textbook of the classroom. There's a confession of faith for the faculty, like there is here at Troop-McCawley University. And when students are taught, they are taught to understand all perspectives, but there's a recognition and confirmation of biblical worldview. So it's not confined to uh, Bible classes or the theology department? No, if it ever is, it's not a Christian university anymore. It becomes somewhat schizophrenic because they may walk into a great Bible professor, And then all of a sudden, science is evolution and evolution alone. And you walk into philosophy class and it's CRT and social justice and so forth. You go into English and it's transgenderism and you'd be stunned. And then you see it, of course, not only enveloped in the classroom, but outside the classroom. You'll notice that there are groupings of students that are now grouped according to identity politics. Right. That's
0: a a leftist concept of identity politics.
11: Yeah, when you are merely defined by the melanin of your skin or by trying to confine you, really this generation is being groomed. It is almost as if we're watching in America what happened during the revolution in China with Mao Zedong where they are unidentifying the students in order to groom them into a new identity where they're no longer American, they're globalist and UN. Uh, They no longer have a sexual identity. They need to choose it every day and it's It's feelings based, and there is no science. There's, of course, no scripture behind
0: it, and that's the opposite of what made America. Because America is uh, has a unifying idea and concept. Mm And in in fact, our uh, motto, "Out of the one, out of the many, one." I mean, it is bringing together based upon not some uh, ethnic characteristic or um, you know preference in sexual activity but it is an idea that is what birthed America. And that's what's, that's what's being torn apart in our educational institutions and some Christian educational institutions. Yeah. And
11: I'd say purposefully torn apart. This is the beginning phase of it. And it's not merely purposeful in its intent, but it's indoctrinating in its outcome. Uh, my, when my, my family moved here, right? My father, Turkish, my mother, Swedish. While there is a melting pot of different ethnicities, there is a true American concept and culture that most people have missed.
0: Anyone can be a part of. That's
11: correct. So when my wife became a United States citizen some eight years ago now, she had to raise her hand, rightfully so, and swear exclusive allegiance to the United States and Rightfully and so. And she's
0: pretty passionate about America and the freedoms that we have because she's tasted what communism is like. Yeah, and, and she's given that testimony even in one
11: of our chapels and reminds the student that, in, in her mind, being raised in Czechoslovakia, born, raised there until we got married, there's little difference between socialism and communism. The only difference is now the outcome. And you're starting to see that philosophy here where equity takes over for equality. Equity is a socialist concept. Uh, equality is a capitalist and a, and a biblical concept. And you're starting to see Christian institutions downgrade capitalism and business classes and things of this nature.
0: I'm actually going to talk a little bit about that tomorrow in the chapel service. Um, but l- let's talk about the, the implications of that to the influence of the gospel in the mm. country.
11: I think the greatest danger is now we are carving up people into leftist groups. I'm going to reach this people group or this uh, color group or this generation. And that is antithetical to the gospel. When you plant yourself in a community, in a neighborhood, you are called to reach each and every person in that neighborhood. And when you start to have a concept minus linguistics, if they don't speak the language, that becomes a dangerous concept to the gospel. Because all of a sudden, the gospel is quarantined out to certain preferences, which is...
0: But, but Dr. Doctor... Caner, it's also um, it's limiting because mm. you know the idea of the gospel, the idea of America, it's open to everyone. It's just a yeah. matter of, of saying... I agree with those principles. I agree with those tenets. I want to be a part of that. You're not restricted because of the color of your skin or your background or who your mother was or your father was. It's open to everyone. We're losing that in America.
11: We're losing it, and we're creating this generation of victimhood where they can't get out of it because their mindset is they're in it. And if you're born in a certain way, you're only privileged. And if you're born another way, you're only a victim instead of the American concept, which is recognizing we are all born in the image of God, equal in the image of God, and you do have, under this constitutional republic, an
0: equal platform to succeed. You're listening to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. We are broadcasting from the campus of Truett McConnell University in Georgia, which is actually in Cleveland, Georgia, up mm-hmm. in the uh, the northern part of the state. My guest, Dr. Amir Kaner, he is the president here at Truett McConnell. Let's talk a little bit, uh, Dr. Kainer, about how parents can determine whether or not a Christian institution of higher learning is a place that's safe for them to send their children so that they're not uh, indoctrinated in a veiled way with the ideologies of the left. And using biblical terminology to right. do that. So if you're walking in as a
11: prospective student, a prospective parent, I would ask certain questions of what's being taught in terms of critical race theory and intentionally so. But you can also see it inside of the infrastructure of the university. Are they having vice presidents of diversity, equity and inclusion, DEI, that's so popular?
0: Using the terminology of mm-hmm. the left. Let me just say, why do, why, do, why do they do that?
11: I think there is a fear to take a stand that is so countercultural when we have to recognize that we as believers have always been and must always be
0: countercultural. I think you're absolutely right. I think that's what it is. It's a fear of not being accepted, and it's a desire to fit in more than it is a desire to obey God and to be distinct. I mean, Peter said that we are a a peculiar people, Mm -hmm. a unique, a royal priesthood, and it's like somehow we do not want to accept what we are. We are different and we're told to be different.
11: It's also the lazy man's way out because you no longer are challenging students to think for themselves, think biblically, think critically. But it's also lazy from the leadership perspective because they're unwilling to take a stand against a culture.
0: Well, if the leadership of a institution of higher learning in the Christian world will not take a stand on these principles. Do you think the Mm. students, when they graduate from that institution, will?
11: No, and they'll be taught that what they were taught in higher education they'll affirm with their feelings instead of with their mind. And this is this radical transformation. The universities are the ones that are grooming the next generation. All the issues we have with the millennial generations now coming and exacerbating in the next one. And instead of teaching them a biblical worldview, they're being taught a Bible verse with a pagan worldview. Yeah,
0: and and let me just, on the the biblical worldview, folks, you know, I talk about that a lot. It's a passion of ours at the Family Research Council. We've got our Center for Biblical Mm -hmm. Worldview. We actually team up with uh, TMU on some things. A, a worldview is formed between basically 15 months and 13 years. Hmm. And and so you're getting a lot of kids that have all, you've got to deprogram and, and, and help them develop that biblical worldview. But it is a holistic way in which we look at the world through the lenses of scripture. It's not, it's not this uh, compartmentalization that takes place where yeah, this is my my church life, but this is my business life over here. Hmm. And at, at TMU. It's all integrated.
11: Yeah. When we tell the students that they're not all called to be missionaries, but they're all called to be witnesses for Christ. They're all called to be salt and light. And so if you're going to start a business or be a nurse in a hospital educator, you are going to take a stand for Christ. And that's going to be costly. It may be sacrificial, but it'll be the most joyful thing you do because it has eternal ramifications.
0: Talk about the degree programs you have here at TMU.
11: So we have more than 50. Uh, All are based on a biblical worldview. Uh, we teach not only from that worldview, but we give them the ability to succeed. So from internships that we talk about with family research council or wherever, we want to make sure – that we also bless others, what Philippians 2, 3 is. So we, have, we just now started a brand-new post academy, a police academy right yeah. here at the university. We want to make sure to give the broadest platform possible at a university to give the students both the natural and supernatural talent they have in order to succeed. So 22 sports, 50 different degrees, undergraduate, graduate, online, and all for the sake of the gospel.
0: What I find so attractive about it, not only has has my son gone here and he's about to graduate, my daughter-in-law graduated from here, uh, but the practical uh, degrees that you offer, nursing, Hmm. as you said, you have criminal justice. And I see now you're you're doing a a project with uh, chaplains for law enforcement. So it's very practical. So for those that want to be and so many believers, so many Christians, we're called to public service. We have a heart to serve. And some people, are, I'm, I'm not called to preach. But you can, you're can. you still called, as you said, to be a witness. And we can minister. And the best way to do that is to be equipped with a biblical worldview in all of these different realms of uh, of service. And
11: then you, you train them uh, and challenge them far more than they get at secular university that now teaches them to be conformed into their image instead of to think for themselves and to think biblically. So they get a far greater education, a far, a far broader education, and a far more biblical education, all within the concept uh, of a school where we have worked very uh, hard to make sure it's affordable. We are the third most affordable private university in all of the state of Georgia.
0: Uh, Dr. Kaner, let me ask you this question, because knowing, and you and I have talked about this and you've seen it, the growing hostility toward Christianity yeah. and and. Religious freedom is not just the ability to choose the church you're going to go to. It's to live out your faith. It's to be that police officer that graduates here in Mm -hmm. criminal justice. It's the nurse who practices uh, medicine, serving as a nurse, to be able to do so according to her faith. How are you equipping uh, these students, these graduates moving into the world to be able to not just survive, but thrive in this growing, hostile environment.
11: I think the most important thing we do from a leadership stand is to show by example and then to give them special opportunities like we have tomorrow with you coming in to speak with the Ray Newman lecture series on ethics and religious liberty. Uh, so that they hear from it on a regular basis, but also take a stand. True McConnell University went to the Supreme Court with a board of fashion mandate, along with Little Sisters of the Poor and other co-plaintiffs, because it it was going to be sacrificial. You remember, you didn't know who the Supreme Court justice was going to be and so on and so forth. But it was the right thing to do. And we have to show that from the top down and from the bottom up. So they it's pervasive across the dorms, the classroom and the campus. And as a result,
0: TMU is growing.
11: Yeah, yeah, we're now around 2,800 students when it comes to dual enrollment, undergraduate, graduate, and online, and, and we're just thrilled. We're in the middle of now birthing another building campaign to get more dorms and academic space on there. And, of course, we're sitting here in uh, expanded space, right, where we've just purchased. So it's exciting, but it's exciting because I get to see the students graduate and walk to be witnesses.
0: Yeah, and you just, uh, you just launched a
11: new sport. Yes, we just, in fact, had a a ribbon cutting ceremony this afternoon in beach volleyball. So, the (laughs) nicest beach volleyball court in all of the southeast in the mountains of North Georgia.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's a bit chilly outside. I, <laughs> I, I was going to put on my swimming trunks and go out there and play a little uh, beach volleyball, but they didn't I invite me
11: either, to. so that's okay.
0: Tomorrow, uh, if if you're in the area, you're actually invited to come and join us yes. at the chapel services. At what time? Chapel service starts at 930. It's
11: always, always open to the public, and it's always free. We welcome the community, and it's a very, very important chapel that we have done for years now in religious liberty and standing. for life and things of this nature.
0: So folks, if you're in driving distance, come join us here at Truett McConnell University in the morning at 930. Uh, Dr. Kaner, I'm going to ask you uh, one, one final question. Um, when you look at the future of Christian education, hmm. what gives you hope? Uh,
11: the students who are drawn here, because there's a larger amount of And while you see a polarization out there, the polarization on the world side has drawn those who are distinctively Christian towards these universities, and they're more devout
0: now than my generation is. I agree 100%. That gives me hope as well. Dr. Koehner, great to talk with you. Always. Look forward to seeing you again tomorrow. Folks, thank you so much for joining us. Well, I look forward to seeing you as well. Check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you. And be sure, and when you hear guests on here that you like what they have to say, especially our members of Congress that are standing up and defending the things we care about, send them a note. Let them know you're praying for them and you support them. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand. By all means, keep standing.